this is The Space Shot, episode 57 for July 10th, 2017. Telstar Part 1 and Juno. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Molnix. A really cool news item for today, the Juno spacecraft just passed over Jupiter's great red spot in what is the closest ever pass to this massive Jovian storm. The Great Red Spot can vary in size, but right now it's currently about one and a half times the size of Earth. So if you're wanting to feel incredibly small, our entire planet and everything we know could be consumed by this spectacular storm on Jupiter. As I'm recording today's episode, Juno just made history. In the following days, I'll be sure to share the new images that have been taken of Jupiter on this closest ever pass above the Great Red Spot. Be sure to follow me on Instagram and Twitter for links to that content, which should be available on or around July 14th. One other quick thing I want to mention before I move on to Telstar is right now the Juno spacecraft is 1.51 hours away, round trip time, at light speed. So it's about a billion miles away round trip right now. There's some seriously long distance data dumps going on between the Juno spacecraft and NASA's Goldstone Array that's part of the Deep Space Network. I'll link to a cool Deep Space Network website in the show notes, so also check that out. Now for Telstar. Hello, Walter Cronkite. Hello, United States. On my television screen here in Brussels, I have on the left-hand side the Statue of Liberty, on the right-hand side the Eiffel Tower. They are both together, it's clear. So go, America, go. Go, America, go. Good evening, Europe. This is the North American Continent Live via AT&T Telstar, July 23rd, 1962, 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time in the East. The New York skyline on the Atlantic Ocean. And that's the Brooklyn Bridge. On the west, 3,000 miles away, San Francisco. 12 noon at the Golden Gate Bridge, high above the entrance of San Francisco Harbor. The same sun. That was Walter Cronkite with the first live television transmission via the Telstar satellite just a few weeks after its launch from Cape Canaveral. On July 10, 1962, Telstar was launched on a Thor Delta rocket. Minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, and solo fuel. 3, 2, 1, 0. Telstar-1 was the first privately built active communication satellite, and it was the first time that a commercial company, AT&T, had paid NASA to launch a satellite. Bell Telephone Laboratories was part of the research arm of AT&T at the time that Telstar was launched, and was responsible for many of the innovations required for satellites. A quick disclaimer before I go any further... I do work for AT&T, and this podcast episode in no way reflects the views of AT&T or Nokia Bell Laboratories, as this is a personal project. I have also not been compensated in any way for the following Telstar-related episodes. And now, with that out of the way, let's get back to some history. As early as 1954, at the Bell Telephone Laboratories in Murray Hill, New Jersey, the possibilities of satellite communications had been foreseen by Dr. John R. Pierce. Although three years would have passed... John Robinson Pierce was a Bell Labs scientist that worked on projects from vacuum tubes to satellites. Pierce, along with other scientists at Bell Labs, worked on building the first active communications satellite, 
before AT&T. An active communication satellite can take a signal broadcasted from the ground, process it, and then relay it back down to another point on Earth that is too far away for ground transmissions to be used. The Telstar satellite measured just over 34 inches wide, weighed in at 170 pounds, and had an external surface composed of thousands of tiny solar cells that powered an array of rechargeable batteries, which provided power for the satellite. Research into the components that comprise the inner workings of satellites and most modern electronics was conducted by AT&T Bell Labs in the decades up to Telstar's launch. Tiny things are equally important. Transistors. Without them, Telstar could not relay messages in space, and rockets could not be so precisely directed or controlled. Solar batteries to borrow power from the sun and keep Telstar's electronic gear alive. These inventions and more products of telephone research were on hand when the time came for Bell Labs to put the first Telstar together at its hillside New Jersey location. The phone that you're listening to this podcast on can have billions of transistors packed into a device that fits in your pocket. Compare that with the 1,064 transistors that help Telstar transmit video, audio, and data across the Atlantic. In the next episode, I'm going to talk more about Telstar, specifically the first transatlantic TV broadcast, which occurred a few weeks after today's launch. I'm also going to talk about the Starfish Prime event that happened yesterday and how it affected Telstar later on in its mission. Tomorrow, I've also got a bit of Skylab history, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Producing a daily podcast takes a lot of time, and I would love if you could take just a minute to leave a rating or review in Apple Podcasts and let me know what you think. If you're so inclined, you can ask me questions and chat on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix pretty much everywhere. Subscribe to the podcast and share it with anyone you know that loves history, space, or pop culture. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side.